0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, June the 25th, 2022. It is currently 3.33 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I have an important question for you. A very important question. When you go to the doctor, Do you want the doctor to treat the symptoms or cure the disease? Do you want the doctor simply to treat the symptoms? Okay, you've got this symptom and this symptom and this symptom. Okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you this and this and this. This will treat the symptom, it will lessen, lessen the symptoms, but we are not going to go after the disease. We're not going to go after the cause. We are just going to go after the symptoms. So it's it's gonna be a never-ending battle, right? Because the I can try to help you reduce the symptoms, but they're never going to truly go away because we're not going after the underlying cause. We're going to ignore that. Is, is that what you would want? Would you, would you want that? Would you be like, man, what a great doctor. Would you, would you tell everyone? Would you go to the doctors and say, hey, just, just take care of that. That doctor is the best doctor in, in the city. That's the best doctor in the country. He goes after the symptoms. He doesn't waste all of his medical knowledge and medical technology and medicine on the disease. He, he completely ignores it. This is, And I think everybody would be looking at you like, wait. You want the doctor only to treat the symptom? That that's that's all you want. That 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 seems kind of seems kind of odd. I think I think I'm going to ignore your medical advice. I know you got your degree at WebMD, but I'm, I'm going. I think I'm going to go find another doctor because uh, I want him to get the disease. I want him to remove the disease, fix the disease, because that's the issue. Now I will make an argument that the church has been, especially in recent years, so focused on the symptom that I think we may have actually forgotten what the disease is. I think the church has put all of its focus, all of its attention on symptoms. And anytime we make any advance against the symptom, we're like, we are victorious. We are great. We've done it. We've done it. And, and I'm, I'm over in the corner kind of raising my hand going, guys, uh, the, the disease is still there. Shh. Shh, you're so negative. You're, don't you see? We're, we're, we're taking care of the symptoms. But, but the disease, the, 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 the disease, the disease, the disease. I think so much, I, I think the church in so many areas, I mean, we could go through area after. I think dealing with certain sins, we go after the symptoms. Going after maybe relationship issues, we go after the symptoms. Going after church problems, we go after the symptoms. I think in mo- in many cases, we have forgotten what the actual disease is. We, we, we Maybe you think I'm crazy. That, that's okay. That's okay. You wouldn't be the first person to say that. And, and I think sometimes people misunderstand me because they're over here talking about symptoms and I'm talking about the disease and they think that I'm missing the point. And I think, well, they're missing the point. They're like, I'm talking about the symptoms. And I'm like, yeah, but... I'm I'm talking about the disease, and and we're we're not communicating correctly. Maybe it's a failure on my part to to communicate clearly. I think a lot of people don't hear what I'm saying because I think they're so used to preaching and teaching on symptoms and not the disease. Now, some of you probably clearly know what I'm talking about. Others may not, but we're going to go back to June the eighth, twenty twenty two. I think this was. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, June the eighth is when this was first published. It appears, and it was published uh, at the website Way Way of Life Literature. Don't agree with everything there, but I'm always reading so many different things, and I've had this saved in my notes for for a very long time. Saying, okay, I I, I have. If you can see on my iPad, I have. Hu- Thousands of things saved and every day I'm like, okay, I'm going to get through. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about 20 of these things. And then, you know, by the end of the day, I haven't talked about any of those things because another hundred things have now been added. So I'm always trying to catch up. I'm always trying to catch up, but this just seems the appropriate time. This just seems the appropriate time because I think what we have witnessed over, you know, a little over the last 24 hours is a lot of celebrating. We're celebrating because we've defeated the symptom, but, but, but the disease is still there. Now, they don't use the word disease and symptoms in the article. They use this. This is the headline. You ready? Churches must address fundamentals, not symptoms fundamentals, not symptoms. Now, that to me seems two different categories. When I think of fundamentals, I think of something different. When I think of symptoms, I I connect that with disease, right? Uh, Fundamentals, non-essentials, symptoms, disease, it just seems like a Seems like a different. It seems like a different category to me, it, or at least it, it appears to be a different category to me. So I, I would I would probably use the word churches must address the disease, not symptoms. They used it churches must address fundamentals, not symptoms. I, I, I can be nitpicky. Look, if you listen to me yesterday, I confused a hundred thousand dollars with a million dollars. I called a million, a hundred thousand, and I think I ended up calling the hundred thousand, a million. I, I, I got all twisted and turned. So, so anyone can make a, a mistake. I'm not saying that this is a mistake. I'm just saying it just seems, I, I would probably use disease and symptoms. So this just may be an editorial decision, but you, you can decide whatever you want there. All right. So are you ready? We're going to work through this. The goal is to finish it all because then I can re- remove it from my stack of, of things to talk about. But I, I, I don't know. I, I never know. Sometimes I'll, I'll cover something thinking, man, that's going to spark so much conversation, and it's silent. And then I'll just do something, not thinking anything about it, and then boom, email after email after email. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, 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 I never know. But I think this is important. I, I think, sadly, I think I won't get a lot of emails on this, because I think the majority of people are going to disagree with this article and with me. I think so. But I, I just want you to at least consider this. I want you to at least think about it. Are, are you ready? So here we go. Headline. Churches must address fundamentals, not symptoms. This and Now, I was going to skip a lot of this. And just go down to like middle of the article, but I, I, I'm just going to work through it. I may, I may do a little bit of skipping, a little bit of paraphrasing, a little bit of summarizing, a, a little bit of changing words, but I, 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 because there's a part I really, really want to get to, but I will at least want you to kind of hear the argument, the, the authors kind of the way they're presenting their argument and kind of their, their, their train of thought, All right? I hope that makes sense. Here we go. It begins this way, Black Lives Matter is a loose-knit coalition with the agenda of tearing down traditional America and replacing it with a socialist state that is a haven for moral perversion. Now, that's a very dogmatic assertion about Black Lives Matter. Now, remember, when we say Black Lives Matter, we're not talking about the concept that Black Lives Matter because obviously their lives matter right? Because they're human beings creating the image of God. This is referring referring to the organization, not the not the idea, not the concept of black lives mattering, but the idea of the organization. And I, I think we always should draw a distinction between that. A lot of people who may have a BLM shirt or a black lives matter, anything they're, they're, they're promoting the concept. They're not promoting necessarily the organization. I think a lot of people don't even, they don't know anything about the organization. Just see black lives matter. and like, how can you be against that? How can you be against that? Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, amen, they do. I just don't necessarily agree with the organization. So they're they're referring to the organization here. So Black Lives Matter is a loose-knit coalition with the agenda of tearing down traditional America and replacing it with socialist state that is a haven for moral perversion. They are enemies of the old America as reflected in the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, the old America that is deeply influenced by the Bible. BLM's platform calls for an end to capitalism, their redistribution of wealth, universal basic income, collective ownership of, of property, slashing military spending by fifty percent, and ending all aid to Israel. They're opposed to the nuclear family, uh, the traditional biblical family of a father, mother, and children. Now, I, I now just so that you know, I believe there were some changes made to the B- uh, Black Lives Matter website, so maybe some of these things. Because I did a podcast episode about the BLM website. Years ago, going, man, the, the, these are some disturbing things on the website. I think some of those things may have been changed or reworded or dropped. And you can say, well, they have ulterior motives. I'm just saying you can, you'd can you have to check out their website. I, I don't want to – the goal here is not to get into a discussion about it. I just want to make sure that we are at least – we, we want to verify anything that is said here. That's all I, I'm going to say. All right, so here we go. So they're opposed to the nuclear family. Uh, the tradition, uh, which is the traditional biblical f- uh, family of a father, mother, and children, they uh, foster a and their and their words a queer affirming network and intend to free themselves from the tight grip of a heteronormative thinking. Uh, the biblical idea of morality. BLM is one of many organizations and movements with similar agendas. As a large part of the Democratic Party in America today shares this agenda. These people have proven that they will tell any lie, destroy anyone's reputation, commit any violence, break any law towards the fulfillment of their agenda. They only tear down. They never build up. They cannot point to a showcase nation or a community built upon the Marxist or leftist principles that has superior justice, equality, economic opportunity, and liberty to America's. All right. So clearly they're saying Black Lives Matter is bad. They have a horrible philosophy, horrible ideology, and they engage in horrible uh, tactics. And they are wrong. They're bad. And they want to destroy America or the old America. All right. Now, a lot of people look at that and say, you're right. Black Lives Matter is bad. It is horrible. It's, It's ideology. It's agenda is wrong. Now, the question is, so what do we do? What do we do? Let's see where they go with this. Now, listen, here we go. This is the key paragraph. But these things, these things are all those things he just wrote about Black Lives Matter. Everything he said about them, what they want to do, what they want to destroy, what they affirm, what they reject, everything about Black Lives Matter, right? These are only symptoms. They are symptoms. They are symptoms. So many times when I hear Christians talk about the culture, they always, they almost always speak of it in political terminology woke, progressive, liberal, Democrats, socialist, Marxist. And and, they, and they're bad, and they need to be they need to be silenced, they need to be voted out of office. They're horrible, they're bad. And all I hear is they see symptoms, and they identify the the people as their political enemies, referring them to in political categories. Yeah, you I, you I hear this all the time. You hear it in church. Sometimes you can have a, a, you know some Christian men standing over to the side on a Sunday morning talking and. Yeah, I saw on Fox News and they'll start. And, and you like, like, uh, okay, okay. And I keep waiting, waiting. Where, where's the theology going to come in? Where's the Bible going to come in? Where's Christianity going to come in? And I don't hear theology, Bible, or Christianity. And you know what I hear them talking about? Symptom after symptom after symptom. Now, listen to what they say. But these things are only symptoms. And God's people should be wiser than to target symptoms. We should be wiser than to target symptoms. We should know better that targeting the symptom will never cure the disease. We should know that. But for some weird reason, we seem to be oblivious to that in 2022. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Now, this is what the author goes on to say. Let the conservative uh, right fight the left. Rush Limbaugh, I mean, he's not with us anymore, but his program is still there. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, uh, let's see, Ben Shapiro, uh, they've got Michael Savage, uh, Dennis Prager, and uh, Coulter, I think that's supposed to be Ann Coulter, Matt Drudge, Steve Bannon, Mark Levine, uh, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, um, Breitbart, Real Clear Politics, American Spectator, Blaze, Fox News, The National Review, The Daily Beast, Human Events, Newsmax, Town Hall, etc., all, America has a lively conservative voice that does not exist in most other places, and we're thankful for it. You can be thankful for it. There they are. There's the conservative. They can fight the left. Now, they're going to fight symptoms. They're going to fight it from a political standpoint. They're going to argue. They're going to fight. They're going to call names. Many cases don't, don't even come close to acting in a godly biblical manner. Their speech, their focus, their philosophy, their ideology, their uh, so much of what they do, it is not biblical, it is not godly. But for many Christians, what they see is, oh, 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 look, 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 look. They're fighting the same symptoms I don't like. I hate those symptoms. They hate those symptoms. And the next thing we know, not only are we almost wanting to join with them, We almost want them, we almost want to become, hey, we'll join you and we'll support you. And we start acting and talking about the issues like they do. Like a Sean Hannity or a Glenn Beck or a Mark Levin or a Michael Savage or a Prager or Newsmax or Fox News or Tucker Carlson or whatever. We start sounding like that. We start thinking like that. And we and, and I sense they co-op biblical Christianity, and we throw out biblical Christianity, and now we're running around fighting symptoms in a fleshly way, and the church seems to be oblivious to what we have done. We've basically said, okay, oh here's the I'm holding a, a bottle of water, right? Let's say this bottle it, it contains the disease. It contains the disease It's right here in front of us. And we look at it like, get that away from me. Get that away from me. I don't care about that. Symptoms, where are the symptoms? Okay, now how do we fight it? How do we talk about it? Okay, I'll watch Tucker Carlson at 7 p.m. on Fox News. Oh, that's how I talk about it. I'll listen to Glenn Beck. That's how I talk about it. I'll listen to Glenn, uh, I'll listen to Sean Hannity. That's how I talk. So we talk and think and we focus on the symptoms and we act like them. We should be wiser than that. We should be smarter than that. They go on to say, now listen, I want you to listen carefully to this paragraph, but God has told us what this is, what this age is all about and what his people are to be doing. It is the church age is what we would, that many would call this. I know you can get into a whole argument about dispensationalism and we don't call this the church age, but at this time, or whatever you want to call it, we know what we're supposed to be doing. It is Christ's great commission. God is calling out a people for his name from among the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, verse 14, God is calling out a people from amongst the Gentiles to be saved, to follow Him, to become His disciples. That's what's happening right now. That will bring glory to Him through all ages, Ephesians three twenty one. The calling out is by means of global gospel preaching as Christ commanded, Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, Mark sixteen, fifteen, Luke twenty four, forty six through forty eight, and Acts one eight. That's what we're to do. That's what's supposed to be. We're supposed to be involved in preaching the gospel. And, and I, I always break the Great Commission. We have three things we're supposed to be doing. I'll say we have four things because you, I think if you take the Great Commission and then what we're told in Ephesians, I think there's four things the church is supposed to be doing. Are you ready? Evangelism. That's going. That's not happening in the church. That happens outside the church. You go. You proclaim. You, you teach, Right. Then baptism, bringing them into the church. And then third, teaching them to obey. There's discipleship. So those are three things the church is supposed to be doing. And the fourth is we're supposed to be equipping saints to do that work. Christians come to church to be equipped so that they can go do the Great Commission. All right? And they'll be ready to disciple. So we're evangelizing, baptizing, discipling, and being equipped. But somehow we've we've lost track on that. No no, we got to fight the symptoms of the culture war. Here we go. They go on to say in the article, "We all know, we also know from God's word that the hour is late. On every hand we see the day approaching." Now they're going to take a minute here in the article to talk about the history of conservative Christian social political action. Bible-believing churches have been focused on symptoms and have fought spiritual battles with carnal weapons since the 19th century. Now they go back to the 19th century where they believe everything started, the church. Now you, I think you could go further back. I think you could go further back. Obviously, you can look at the merging of church and state throughout church history. And remember well, if you've ever, I mean, I constantly teach church history, but anytime I teach church history, I always say, class, what happens when you merge church and state together? People die. It's what always happens. People start dying. That's what happens, okay? But that's a whole deal. So I think you could argue that for 2,000 years, there's been this constant struggle of basically kind of a, a social, political action where the church attempts to enforce Christianity upon people. And, and we've seen this in, in so many different settings and situations, but th- they go back to the 19th century. And they start with Charles Finney, Charles Finney, 1792 to 1875. And he says Charles Finney had a major role in turning the churches from the Great Commission to social reform. Now, I will say this, anything that Charles Finney preached, anything Charles Finney touched was heretical ungodly and unbiblical, and you should at least approach everything he said and did with great, 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 great caution. Even if you don't take a stance as strong as I do about the theology and the methods of Finney, even if you think, oh, no, he was wonderful, he was great, I still think at least take a moment and step back and approach with great caution. But here's something that they say that he did, that he turned the church from the Great Commission to social reform. And many churches today are committed more to social reform and they want to reform society, not through the gospel, but through political uh, uh, victory by the court system, by laws, by bills. They want to reform society. But th- I, th- there's all kind of problems. If you, if you hear, I keep, Whenever I start thinking, I pick up a pencil. So I'm sorry. And then I put it down, so... Yeah. All right. So here we go. All right. In the 19th century, the evangelical movement became increasingly identified with political causes from the abolition of slavery and child labor legislation to women's rights and the prohibition of alcohol and a desperate effort at regaining this institutional power and the glory of Christian America, a vision that is always powerful in the imagination. But after the disintegration of Puritan, New England, um, it, it was elusive. In other words, there's always been this powerful vision of a, of a quote unquote Christian America. It's, it's a, it's a vision. It's an ideal. It's a concept that many Christians long for and they just, Oh, I want, I want this to be a Christian America. And, and, but the key is they wanted to become a Christian America. Not by well, what would they, they? They want a fraudulent Christian America. I know they're going to get mad for me saying this. They want a fake Christian America. They want a a, a a Christian America that's put in place by political force, by law, by by courts. You don't become a Christian America through those fleshly means. To become a Christian America, every individual, the, put it this way, individual Americans. Have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, trust in Christ and be discipled. Then they start living out Christian morality in their life. See, if you go after the symptoms, look at America. It's corrupt. It's polluted. This is ungodly. We've got to fix it. Okay. But this whole preaching and, 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 and waiting for salvation, that's no, We need to make it a Christian America now. How do we do it? Politics. How do we do it? Law. How do we do it? The court system. How do we do it? Boycott, censorship, whatever we have to do. But you don't make anyone a Christian America. It's, it's fraudulent. It's fig leaves. It's fig leaves. You put fig leaves on, but underneath you got no clothes on. You're, you're a naked sinner without any, with, with a, a, a practical righteousness that will not appease a holy God. It's, it's fake, it's fraudulent, it's vanity, it's meaningless. It's just, it's nothing more than the Pharisees. You clean up the outside of the tomb, but inside there's dead man's bones. You clean up the outside of the cup, and inside the cup it's mold and rotten and filthy, Many, many people want a Christian America that's nothing more than the than the Pharisee, the, the concepts of the Pharisees. But they, there's this vision of a of a of a, a a Christian America. But after the disintegration of the Puritan New, Eng, uh, New England, it's been it's an elusive vision. Everyone keeps wanting it, but we never can quite get there. The turn of the century Protestant established establishment launched moral campaigns to Americanize immigrants, enforce moral instruction, and character education. Evangelists pitched their American gospel and forms in forms and terms of its practical usefulness to the individual and the nation, and that comes from Michael Horton from the disturbing legacy of Charles Finney at Monergism.com. All right. The Disturbing Legacy of Charles Finney. You may want to find a copy of that, The Disturbing Legacy of Charles Finney by Michael Horton, because I believe the the legacy of Charles Finney is beyond disturbing. I think it was detrimental to the future of evangelicalism, and I believe it was a cancer, and we're still feeling the impacts of Charles Finney's ideas, theology, and philosophy, even in the church today, 2022. So we're going to have to do maybe some more. I've done plenty of teaching on Finney, but we may have to do some more. Now, this program continued to gain steam in the days of Billy Sunday in the early 20th century. His message focused on Christianizing America. He advertised his campaigns as civic cleanups. He preached against dancing, card playing, gambling, Theater going, commercial dishonesty, drinking—not just for the sanctification of individual believers and churches, but for the conversion of America. We're gonna—we're gonna convert America by having civil cleanups. We're gonna stop dancing. We're gonna stop playing cards, stop gambling, stop theater going. We're gonna stop all of this. We're gonna—we're gonna make America—we're gonna make America Christian again. Now, I, I grew—I grew up in West Texas in the '80s. I've talked about it. There were, there were towns here in the, in, in, this area in the 1980s that they had prohibition against dancing. You, you seen the movie Footloose? Yeah. That was inspired by, I think the director or one of the writers was somewhere, I think somewhere in Texas and found out that there, you couldn't dance in that town. He's like, wait, what? Yeah. Hey, hey, we're, we're going to Christianize this town. Young people, you can't dance. You can't play, can't play cards. Can't go to the theater. We Christianized you. Well, if you watch the movie Footloose, it didn't work, did it? Well, it didn't work in real life either. (laughs) Because you're going after a symptom, not the disease. Christians have been completely hijacked in this manner. So Billy Sunday came along. I I believe Billy Sunday... Did he, have, did he have a church in Iowa or did he preach in Iowa? I would, I have been to the church where I believe he preached. I don't know I don't know if it was his church. I, I have to go back to my history of Billy Sunday. But I know I was in a church in Iowa where he preached um, at one point. Um, let's see here. Um, Sunday's preaching, Billy Sunday's preaching, uh, and campaign was a major force in the passage of the 18th Amendment in 1919, prohibiting the manufacture, transportation, and the sale of intoxicating liquor. He invited his hearers to become better Americans and to make America a better country. He said, and I quote, Do you want God's blessing on you, your home, your church, your nation, on New York? If you do, raise your hands. How many of you men and women will jump to your feet and come down and say, Billy, here's my hand for God for home, for my native land, to live and conquer for Christ. Come on down and take my hand against booze for Jesus Christ, for your flag. This is from the book, Era of the Evangelist, Christianity.com, April 28th, 2010. Um, William McCloughan, Modern Revivalism, page 1 of 434. But please note, Hey, we're, we're gonna Christianize America for your country. How are we gonna, we're gonna stop the sale of alcohol. That'll fix it. That'll fix it. I saw yesterday. I saw yesterday after Roe v. Wade was overturned. I saw a number of them. All right. Now the next thing you need to do, get rid of pornography. The next thing you need to do, get rid of this. Get, and I'm like, what in the world is happening? What? Okay, Roe v. Wade, now get rid of porn. Yeah, I get, what, get rid of rated R movies. Get, get, whatever, what, get rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of this, get rid of that. See, see I, we get a little taste of victory. Now we're going to be on, on to every symptom. And, and, and we didn't overcome it. There's, it's we want political victory and we want to form, we want to force America to be a Christian nation without Christ. Many Christians want America to be a Christian nation based on a morality that they're forced to keep, not a Christ that they have in their hearts. Yeah, I know know this is going to be a really popular message today. That's okay. That's okay. Here we go. This program of social reform towards the Christianization of America has continued among fundamentalists. It received great impulse with the founding of the American Council of Christian Churches in 1941 by Carl uh, McIntyre. Participants included T.T. Shields in Canada, the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches led by Robert Ketch- Ketchum, Bible Presbyterian Churches, the Independent Fundamental Churches of America, the Associated Gospel Churches, and the World Baptist Fellowship, the AOC, the ACCC was supported by Bob Jones Sr., Francis Schaeffer, Jerry Falwell, Tim LaHaye, and a great many other fundamentalist leaders, both non-denominational and Baptist. And this is the idea, these, these concepts of Christianizing America. And again, the Christianizing of America wasn't through proclamation of the gospel, it was through imposing Christian morality. If you get an entire nation to accept Christian morality... They're not Christian. They're moral. Morality and Christianity are two different things. The Pharisees were moral. They weren't Christian. Muslims can be moral. They're not Christian. Mormons can be moral. They're not Christians. Christianity is Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you, and you have been given his, impu- his imputed righteousness has been accredited to your account. His righteousness has been accredited to your account to say it the correct way. His righteousness has been imputed to you. You're, you're a Christian by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we associate Christianity with morality, 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 morality. Christianity becomes nothing more than a a morality system. It's moralism, not Christianity. Not content to fight against the theological liberalism and heresies in churches and schools to preach the gospel and teach the Bible and disciple believers, McIntyre increasingly became fixated on political action pertaining to pro-Americanism and anti-communism. McIntyre determined that his calling was to lead a nation building campaign to save America. See, this is going back a long time ago. This concept was here. We got to fight communism. We got to fight Marxism. We got to save America. We got to. If you want to save America, give them Christ. The cause seemed to be right. McIntyre's generation witnessed disturbing changes in American society and government. Beginning with President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, there was an ever-increasing move towards socialism. The power of the federal government had been increasing dramatically since the end of the Civil War in in 1865, but Roosevelt took it much further. He claimed that men should be guaranteed uh, four freedoms by the government, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Then he specifically put the government in the role of God in man's lives. Uh, uh, this is talked about in the book and the rise of the tyrant controlled economy versus private enterprise, 1945. McIntyre rightfully warned that a centralized government that attempts to deliver men from want and fear is idolatrous and will have tragic and far-reaching results. He rightly warned that America is in great danger of losing her freedom, uh, today and that, uh, that at any time since the Declaration of the Independence, social for- forces such as feminism, abortion rights, and the free love unisex movement of the 1960s was turning America's society upside down and removing the remnant of biblical influence. The Supreme Court removed prayer and Bible reading from the public schools. Communists were infiltrating universities and government. Crime was exploding. America was embroiled in a self-inflicted military quagmire in Vietnam. The Cold War threatened to break out into World War III. International communism was on the march. The League of Nations, followed by the United Nations, appear as forerunners of a one world government. Everything was falling apart. Now, you hear some of those same talking points mentioned almost every single day in the conservative media over and over and over and over. We got to fight it. 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 Well, even if you believe those things have to be fought, once again, the church is not focusing on the disease but on the symptom and wanting to Christianize America without Christ, but with morality. Next paragraph. McIntyre published reports warning of the inroads of socialism. He created broad-based political alliances. He led public demonstrations. He sought for access to the White House and Congress. He raised money from millionaires, regardless of their spiritual condition and doctrinal soundness. An example is J. Howard Pugh, retired Sun Oil executive, who was a member of the Federal Council of Churches, which McIntyre had identified as enemy number one. McIntyre's constant refrain was that if God's people don't rise up and become active in his alliance, we are doomed. But if the Christian people of America will wake up and assert themselves, we can save our land. McIntyre called for an alliance with Roman Catholicism. He said the chasm separating the Roman Catholic Church from the Protestant Church is a small one compared to, to that inf, in, indefinitely large chasm which separates the modernist, which separates the modernist from the fundamentalist. But that is nonsense. A false gospel is a false gospel. One type of false gospel is as dangerous as another. And God's people are forbidden to yoke together with false gospelers of any persuasion. So he he was like okay we've got to we got to fight these social ills. Okay, let's forget theological differences. Let's forget doctrinal differences. We've got to work together. It we we look, we'll work with anybody. We don't care about character, we don't care about morality. All we care about is overcoming the social ills, overcoming the the bad communism, the the whatever. And Christians talk this same way in 2022. It's a pragmatic approach. Gospel, preaching, prayer, fasting. Come on, guys. The country's falling apart. We've got to do something. Come on. Don't you watch Fox News? Come on. We got to do something. Well, what do we do? Well, there's the solution. We'll join with that. We'll, we'll prostitute the church out and we'll allow us to be used so that we get the political victory that we want. Yeah, I am. Yeah, uh, they they go on to say McIntyre also worked closely and, and promoted the Roman uh, a number of Roman Catholics, a, a number of them, and uh, as well with the Jewish rabbi. So he worked with Catholics, Jews. He worked with anybody and everyone he could to Christianize America to fight the social ills. Other influential Save American Communist fighters who worked closely with McIntyre was Edgar Bundy, Church League of America, Billy James. Hargis, a Church of Christ preacher turned communist fighter, founder of the Christian crusade, Frederick Swartz, founder of the Christian anti-communism crusade, and Robert Welch, Unitarian founder of the John Birch Society. There is no biblical authority for the ACC or any ministry like this. There is no biblical authority for its parachurch organization, for its ecumenical alliances, for its focus on political action, for the identification of America with the kingdom of God. McIntyre disobeyed clear scripture in the pursuit of these pragmatic objectives. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Bilal? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God; as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you will be, a, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen through eighteen. It's biblical. They violated so many biblical principles. But you know what? Many Christians didn't care they violated biblical principles because they no longer cared about biblical principles. They cared about their America. This is not the America I grew up in. This is not the America I want for my grandkids. We've got to fight this. And it's like you've, you're abandoning the gospel. You're fighting the symptom. You no longer even know what the disease is. You think the disease, and many Christians today identify the disease, they identify the symptom as the disease. Carl McIntyre's ecumenical Save America movement was superseded by Jerry Falwell's moral majority in the 1970s and the 1980s with an even broader coalition. Falwell, associated with the Baptist, Baptist Bible Fellowship International, began his political action campaign with a series of I love America rallies in 1976. Hey, Christians getting together, go, we love America. How about no, we love Christ. We love his word. The the whole focus here just gets all broken and messed up. But far from being saved by conservative political action, America has descended deeper into spiritual and moral darkness with each passing decade since the founding of the ACC they have lost the vast majority of their battles. They lost the battle against Roosevelt's New Deal and Johnson's Great Society, War on Poverty, the battle against pulling America out of the United Nations, and against evolution taught in public schools. They lost the battle against prayer and Bible reading being removed from the public schools, followed by the battle for it being restored. They lost the battle against the federalization of public school system and the formation of the Department of Education, the battle against sex education, the public schools, the battle against the radicalization of the universities, the battle against the removal of the Ten Commandments, the battle against the politicization of courts and the battle against the repeal of prohibition and the battle to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, this is written before Roe v. Wade has currently been overturned, but we just lost every single battle. We're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, and we're losing and losing. And even if you won some of those battles, let me make it clear, what if you won every one of those battles so that America looked like some great Christian nation with such a, a, a wonderful morality? And everyone looks so godly. It means nothing if hearts have not been converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're nothing more than whitewashed tombs. You're nothing more than clean cups on the outside. But America constantly, a Christian America, I cannot speak for Christians in other countries, but in America, Christians so constantly just want to whitewash, they want to cover everything in fig leaves and say, see, look at at how great we are. You're ungodly. It's about the gospel. So the article wraps up this way. Stop focusing on symptoms and address root issues. The only solution for America's ills is to address the root problem. Cancer is not healed by addressing symptoms. You don't fix cancer by going after its symptoms. You have to go after the disease. You have to kill it. You have to cut it out of the body. You have to destroy it. The disease is what the church should be focused on. The root of America's ills is the condition of the nation's churches. Unregeneracy. Unqualified leaders, cowardly leaders, worldliness, carnality, lukewarmness, the priority of tradition over God's word, pragmatism, heresy, apostasy, worldly homes, worldly youth. That wretched condition has become the status quo in a vast number of fundamentalist, Baptist, Bible-believing churches. America doesn't fear God because their churches do not preach and live the fear of God. Now, I will say the issue has always been the spiritual condition of the church first and foremost and the church no longer preaching or focusing on gospel but getting involved in culture wars fighting them in the most fleshly political way possible so the church is no longer seen as the one who holds up the cross and preaches christ and him crucified for the nations no what they see is the church is the one waving an american flag holding uh, with a make america great red hat on with a gun in the other hand that's what they see the church as a republican political party, that the church is now in, many, in the eyes of many people, nothing more than a political organization. They don't, they don't hate us because we preach Christ. They hate us because we preach a political ideology. The root problem is addressed by doing exactly what God has told his people to do in this present time, which is to build biblical churches as the pillar and ground of the truth and to focus on the church's great business, which is th- thoroughgoing discipling and aggressive world evangelism. This is mandate, this is a mandate that, ar- ar- that the risen Christ emphasized by repetition. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15 through 16, Luke 24, 44 through 48, and Acts chapter one, verse eight. And which we see the first Christians obeying in Acts and the epistles. Preach, teach, disciple. Preach, teach, disciple. Or preach, you can say, preach, uh, baptize, disciple. All right, that's what we're called to do. Discipleship is obviously at a horrible level. I mean, we, we just saw recently. Christians don't no longer, and in that recent sur- survey, it was some horrible numbers. Even pastors and church members no longer have a biblical worldview. The numbers were absolutely astonishing. Church attendance is dropping dramatically. Christians no longer have a worldview. Christians are biblically illiterate, theologically illiterate, doesn't know anything about church history. Oh, but we're winning some culture wars. You can win all the culture wars you want. Let me let me make it very clear. You continue to focus on the culture wars. You get all the right people voted in office. You win. You're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to pat yourself on the back and look, 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 look. Look at the victories we have. And you're going to wake up one day and biblical Christianity is no longer going to exist. It's going to be wiped off the face of the earth because you sold it out for your own culture wars and political gain. And you're not even going to know it. You're going to think, oh, Christianity is here. No, it's no longer Christianity. It's moral. It's basically nothing more than moral, it's theistic morality. It's just theistic moralism. Where did the apostles and early church get heavy? Where did the apostles and early church get heavy heavily into politics? They kept their attention and doing what Christ told them to do and they turned the world upside down. They didn't turn the world upside down. Politically, they turned it upside down through the preaching of the gospel. And then we know when you move forward, when you get past the apostolic era, next thing you know, guess what? You start merging church and state. You start merging church and state. And guess what? Corruption, philological, just everything becomes a mess. We have to stop fighting spiritual battles with carnal weapons. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Second Corinthians ten three through five. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Ephesians six twelve through 13. God's word plainly tells us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, conservative political action and conspiratorial hand-wringing. Don't defeat spiritual wickedness in high places. But we do have weapons against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Consider some of the mighty weapons that God has given his people. We could talk about the New Testament church. We could talk, obviously, regeneration. We could talk about the Bible. We could talk about separated living and holiness. We could talk about zealous spiritual growth. We could talk about the gospel. We could talk about prayer. And we could talk about discipleship. That's what we have been given. Prayer, fasting, discipleship, spiritual growth, holiness, spiritual living, we're called to that. The Bible, regeneration, the church. Those are the things that we have that we are to cling to and we are to develop and we are to grow in. That's what we are to do, that's to be our focus. Now, many, is going to, many are going to disagree with this, and that's okay. You can. But I'm just telling you, sooner or later, you're going to wake up one day and realize vanity of vanities. Meaningless, meaningless. You're fighting the symptoms, and you're not going to fix the disease, and the symptoms are going to continue to spring up over. You know, the one thing this article doesn't do a good enough job, you know where the, the true disease is? It's called the depravity of man. Man. That's where it springs from. The depravity of man is the disease, and you fight that disease through the preaching of the gospel and through discipleship and growing in grace and knowledge of Christ, growing in your spiritual life. Obedience is taught after conversion. You don't try to force obedience on those unconverted. Christians don't want to, they don't, they don't want to focus on themselves, their spiritual condition. They don't want to do anything to improve their spiritual condition. They would rather do a million other things than read and study and learn. Churches have become social clubs. The Chris, Christianity is in a mess spiritually, but we're going to fight for Christian morality through political means because we're going to try to Christianize everyone without the gospel because we've lost the gospel and we've lost biblical theology and we no longer even know what the disease is. So when we even get a victory, we walk around mocking and, and we, act, we act completely ungodly. And the way we speak of our quote unquote political enemies, the way we act is ungodly. And, and we more, we're more concerned about winning a political victory than praying for the people who are our political enemies, that they may be converted and demonstrating love to them, even though we stand against maybe their viewpoint or their ideology, because the church has become so ungodly and worldly and political. I'm going to stop right there. Churches must address the disease and not the symptoms. We got a little bit of history. We got very practical about the situation today. You can contact me and tell me your disagreement at newsif at yahoo.com. newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to check a couple of things because I, I got a comment, then the comment disappeared. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm not missing any comments here. Nope, I don't know. Most likely someone started listening and then they got uh, distracted or they had to do something. And so when they they stopped listening, their comment disappeared. Make sure there's no other comments anywhere else. Okay, I think we're good to go. All right. I know that that's going to be somewhat controversial, but it needed to be talked about today. So thank you for listening. If you have any comments, let me know. If you need any more information about the history I gave, let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, everyone have a great, wonderful Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. We don't know what tomorrow's going to look like at Victory Baptist Church (laughs) because our sound system died. Uh, Hopefully, we're going to be able to live stream tomorrow. If for some reason we cannot live stream, then I will... Whatever I teach at the church, I'll come back and teach again here uh, from, well, the Theology Central Studio right here in Abilene, Texas. We'll we'll, we'll come back here, and uh, I'll do my best to repeat everything that is talked about. That's the goal, Uh, but if everything's working, then we'll be live streaming starting at about 10.05 a.m., and then we'll go from 10.05 to 11, take a break about 11.15, 11.20, begin again, stop around 12.15, then start again around 6 p.m. and we'll probably do some live broadcast starting somewhere tomorrow maybe around 3 3 in the afternoon. I usually try to do two live broadcasts before I even go back to church. We have a we we do about 6 to 7 hours of live broadcasting on a Sunday. So if you if you would like to hear all of our live broadcast, uh, look the the easiest way. Just go to your app store of choice, Apple or Google, and just do a a, a search for Church 1. That's Church O N E church O-N-E. Once you download the app, do a search for Theology Central. Choose us as your broadcaster of choice, your church, even though we're not actually your church. I think that's what they call it, or maybe they call it a favorite broadcast or whatever. Choose us, and then basically the Church One app becomes the Theology Central app. Check the notifications inside that app. Make sure they're all on, and then you will get notified every time we go live and every time we add another message. New content is almost, well, if you look at how our podcast is classified on all the podcast apps, we are classified as an hourly podcast. An hourly, that means all the podcast apps, when they average it out, they perceive that we give new content every hour. And that's, that's a pretty big accomplishment since this podcast is, well, one person. <laughs> okay. But we do close to 900 episodes a year. So um, that's a lot of live broadcast. So we think you should choose us as your live broadcaster simply because there's no one else who's going to come close to producing the amount of content that we do. So therefore, it would make more sense to choose us because there's always something new being added. That's the story. That's that. that's that's what I'm sticking with, because, well, first, it's true. But I, I just think it's it makes sense. Right be with the podcast that you, every time you turn around, like, oh, they're going live again. Ooh, there's a new sermon. Oh, they're going live again. Ooh, there's a new sermon. Oh, they're going live again. Ooh, there's a new message. Ooh, ooh, uh, look. And there you there you go. It makes it worthwhile, right? Makes it like every day is like Christmas. Now, sometimes when you see what's underneath the tree, you may go, ooh, why is he talking about that? And man, he messed up. He He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Yeah, sometimes that will happen, but I always do my best to correct it when it occurs. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. I got, pl- I got a lot to do over the next few hours. So maybe I'll be back tonight around 10 or 11. If I am not, then I'll, I'll well, I'll, I will be talking to you tomorrow. God bless.